everybody, and welcome to Baseball Barbecue. I am Jake Mintz, joined, as always, by Jordan Schusterman. Uh, now, we are aware that the podcast is a week and a day tardy. We're going to explain why. Uh, you know, we, we had a lot of discussions last week, and we just didn't feel like it was appropriate to do a silly baseball podcast about goofy things that we like when this country was reckoning with issues of police brutality and the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And the moment wasn't right. And we want to take this podcast to kind of start pushing that conversation forward. Yeah, because baseball has not ever done a good job of talking about uh, issues of systemic racism, not just in the country, but certainly as it relates to the sport. We felt uh, it made sense to to dive in and engage and have these conversations. So on this episode, uh, we've got two special guests. We've got Nick Heath, outfielder in the Kansas City Royals organization, one of our favorite people in the entire world of baseball, not just an electric personality, but one of the most insightful dudes we know. Uh, and then we also have another player who you might not be as familiar with. Uh, his name's Matt Ritchie. He's a player uh, on Johns Hopkins University, giving us some perspective about the black experience in baseball, not just at the major league level, but at the college level. Um, really enjoyed talking to both of those guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, having more of these conversations. So thanks to Nick and Matt. I hope you guys uh, enjoy this conversation. Our guest for this section of the pod is a man who I believe is legitimately the most entertaining and energetic baseball human being I've ever seen in my life. Nick Heath, Kansas City Royal. Nick, thank you for joining us, man. Always, always, always. It's always a pleasure to talk to y'all. I love you guys. What's going on? Uh, Nick, thank you uh, again. I know it's not it's not necessarily a challenge to get Nick Heath talking, <laughs> uh, but we thought it was important uh, to bring you on today because we really wanted to get your perspective. And I know you've already uh, been talking a lot about these issues. So uh, let's start kind of big picture. Um, these are a lot of issues that we should have been talking about for a long time uh, before the, these last couple of weeks. Um, but what has your experience been growing up as now one of you know the few black players in baseball at a time when they're fewer than ever uh at first like coming into baseball I didn't necessarily know that there weren't a lot a lot of black baseball players like I know about minor league ball but obviously you don't hear about a lot of names when guys are the minors unless you're top prospect futures guy you know what I'm saying stuff like that so I didn't really think there was like a rift in African-American players in baseball until I actually got here it started real. Did you have a lot of black teammates growing up as a kid? Literally? When I was younger. So like I played in Gresham Park, which is in Atlanta. So when I started playing baseball, it was all black kids. We might have had like two white kids. And even at that, one of them was mixed. So we really only had one white kid. And his dad was like, I think his stepdad or something like that was black. So like he was around us all the time. And my cousins played with me, Caleb Corbin, Cedric. Uh, AJ lived down the street. So we were all like in the same neighborhoods. We were all pretty close together. So I knew that team that I, you know, was with growing up. Uh, my parents split, uh, and that's where people confuse uh, me being from Kansas. My parents split, and then we moved to Kansas. And in Kansas, it was total opposite. I went from, like, one, <laughs> I went from, like, one of 12 or 13 black kids on the team to, like, one of two. And I was like, man, what going, what's going on? But I was, like, seeing that all the other black kids were playing football, because my high school and my middle school had really good football teams. Uh, they were running track. They was doing. I even saw black kids wrestling. I'm like, dang, okay, whatever, I guess. But like, 
when I went to Kansas, it was the total opposite. And it was just, it was me and like one other kid or two other kids. And I can remember them too. Jonathan Feaster and Cartavius King. And one played football. They both played football. But I think they just played baseball to like, I think they just played baseball basically because, you know, they wanted to play another sport. Like I tried to pick up basketball my junior year. I was terrible at it. Whatever. I guess. But like going out there and seeing that, I'm like, man, what happened on the black kids playing baseball? Like even in city league ball, it was just me and one or two other kids because like we couldn't afford travel ball. And you hear about guys going down to like East Cobb and going to all these different places. Man, I was never doing that. I was playing city league ball because we didn't have it like that. So the older I got, the less and less black kids were playing baseball. And I was just like, where are all the black boys at? Like, why am I the only one out here? Why am I the only one playing? I got to college. When I stepped on campus, I was the only black kid on the team. My sophomore year, we had another black kid. His name is Quan Atkins. He plays for the Giants now. One of my best friends. Uh, he was on his visit. And then my junior year, he was there. And then my senior year, we had another kid come in. His name was Willie Ward. So at one time, we had three black kids on that team. And to my recollection, I think that's the most that had been in a while. And obviously, each year, one leaves. So now it's less and less, and I get to pro ball, and we got 215 guys in our organization, and there's like 13 black dudes. And I'm like, well, the black kids that are playing baseball. So the older I get, the less and less I see us in baseball. And that, that's been my experience, but I've always had to kind of just, you know, whatever. It's my job. It's what I do. Right. I love. So, But it is, it is interesting that, that, like, at the beginning, you were around a ton of black kids playing baseball. Oh, yeah, the whole team, whole team, whole neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, everything we did was all black kids, but, like, that was just a part of Atlanta that I lived in. And, obviously, I know there are different parts. So, I'm sure there were some all-white teams down there when I was a kid and so on and so forth. But, like, my perception of it was that, like, black people love playing baseball. And then the older I got, the more I realized, like, even if we love playing baseball, we're still not in the game. Well, it's not necessarily, like, losing the love for it. It's losing the access to it. Oh, 100%. You mentioned that like you were not able to do East Cobb and the perfect game travel circuit and all of that crap, right? As that's happening to you in high school, what's going through your head? Man, honestly, I thought the the kids that were doing that, I was like, man, I got no shot. Well, I don't got no shot. And like... I wasn't a very good baseball player to begin with. So in high school, man, I was like a junior struggling to stay on JV. Man, you know what I mean? Like I was bad. And then like I hit this spurt over like a year, year and a half span where I actually started figuring out my body and how to use it. And I was like kind of feeling myself out a little bit. So I was kind of figuring out the baseball side. Earlier on, I was like, man, there's no way I'm about to be able to compete with these dudes further down the road. So what am I even here for? And I was like having thoughts. I'm like, man, I think I'm going to just run track because you guys know my mom ran. So I was like, man, I think I might just run track. And my mom was like, boy, if you quit baseball, I'm going to whoop your ass. I don't put too much money and too much driving into baseball for you to be talking about. So now I want to run track. So, man, I just, it's frustrating because I didn't have access to a lot of things that those guys had. And then those guys were getting, you know, like, even in high school, they had like pitching coaches and guys who were helping with their mechanics. Man, I'm, hitting rocks in the backyard with a metal bat. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's all I had. So, I mean, as time went on and I started understanding myself and I started putting in a little more time compared to those guys, you know, that were in those leagues, then I started, like, closing the gap. And then when I finally got to the position that I was able to compete with them, I was like, all right, let me push a little bit harder so I can, like, outshine them just a little bit. You know what I mean? I got I to gotta come out here and show them that just because I 
didn't come from the same thing they came from, don't mean I can't come out here and play with y'all. So, Nick, I also want to go back to just something you said about, like, I know you're being modest saying, oh, I wasn't that good at baseball. But, like, I do, I do, yeah, well, but the thing is, is that I do believe that, like, the difference in talent between you and a lot of the kids that get to commit to Vanderbilt and the SEC schools and UCLA, whatever, is not that big, right? It's just a matter of you weren't seen. You weren't at the showcases or you weren't at, you know, you didn't get to do those things and you didn't have the same reps. And and that's just another example of just like, it's about opportunity. And that's not what baseball should be. It should be about the best baseball players. Exactly. So we were, so I'm thinking back on it now and, and my high school, you guys ever heard of the Devon brothers? He's played for the Braves. So those were the last two pro ball players to come out of my high school. And that was like 2001, 2002. And I get, I was the only other player, not drafted, Hector was drafted, but I was the only other player to play pro ball after those two guys. And I got, and I graduated high school in 2012. So I'm looking, I'm like, man, we, we don't get a ton of guys from this area. You know what I mean? We don't get a ton of guys from this area who get the opportunity. We were a 6A school, but Kansas 6A is different than like Texas 6A. Oh yeah. We had like 1,200 students and that was 6A for us. Texas is six is like six thousand students. You know what I mean. So like you get you get you get the cream of the crop down there. You get the best players down there. And with us, you only got twelve hundred students. So it's not like you can sit here and be super picky with who makes a team and so on and so forth. But even then, these guys are like affording to go to these tournaments and they're driving up to Kansas City to play for a whole weekend. And I'm like, dang, these dudes playing fall ball. I didn't even know fall ball existed for people like me. You know, we couldn't afford that. So, um. I think the difference between talent and me when I was younger and those guys, and like you said, it was the opportunity. It was like they were able to afford those extra opportunities and able to afford driving to go see better competition. I was making the most out of Pony League ball. You know what I mean? Like, our <laughs> That's all you could do. We had grass growing on the infield, and I'm just like, dang, well, I don't know if this hop is going to stay down or hit me in the mouth, man. I don't know which is going to be which. So. <laughs> That's why you headed out to the outfield. You're like, this seems a little bit safe. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Ball rolling in the outfield is going to hop over my head or go between my legs. I got to pick one. Right. I think right. something that's kind of, you know, really heavy that you mentioned is that you can n- specifically name like every black teammate you've had since you moved to Kansas. I could name, I could name every black teammate I've had since, let me see. I could probably say like middle school, like sixth grade. Right. And it just, man, that's frustrating, especially being a black dude. Cause I'm like, dang, dog, is it just, is it just, they don't like black people in baseball? Is it like, I, I don't understand where the disconnect is between us and baseball, but I guess at the same time, like my business mind is like, okay, well, black people can't afford to, you know what I'm saying? We can't all afford to go out there and play. You know what I mean? That's just in our demographic statistics show that I don't I don't even have to. I don't even have to think about something like that. But like, we can't go, we can't afford to go out there and do that. And if you asked me if I was going to go play baseball myself, play baseball by myself, what would I do? No, nah, I can't do that. But if I went out with a football, I could work on, I could set up two cones and be like, oh, snap, let me run this drill through these cones. I couldn't do that with baseball or basketball. That's so easily accessible. I can go two blocks that way and there's a court, there's like a little street court and I can just go up there and put up shots if I wanted to. Or there's a field over here. I got a football in my car. I could go out there and throw a pass to my roommate. You know what I mean? I could work on something. But baseball, it kind of takes a little bit of organization with multiple people to do so. 
and, and more equipment. Especially when you've got these fields that are terrible that kids, you know what I'm saying, can't necessarily practice on. And sometimes you don't always have access to it or you by yourself because your friends don't want to go out there and do that. They'd rather go shoot hoops and play football. So I, I understand it. But at the same time, like, how are we going to put African-American kids in a position to be able to come out here and play baseball and not just say that, oh, we don't have black people playing baseball? What do you think needs to change specifically? Like what, what can the league and what can teams do to help foster that interest? And not only that, but allow for young black kids to have access to high-end training, right? And high-end opportunities to be seen by college coaches. Okay, so I, I feel like other organizations have this, but I know in Kansas City, we have the Youth Academy. It's not very far from the stadium. And I went in there right before Fan Fest, and I was there for a couple of days before Fan Fest. And I'm going to hit in the Youth Academy, and I'm seeing there's like ten, they're like ten, eleven, you know, African American kids in there, and they're hitting in the cages and they're working on their ground balls. And I'm like, well, how y'all got this up here? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how is this available? So I was talking to one of my teammates the other day, and how you foster interest, and in, you know, kids, you got to put something in their face for them to be interested in it. I think you can foster interest in African-American kids playing baseball if you bring African-American kids to the park. If you, if you pick five kids and you do like a, oh, we'll have a camp, okay? We'll do like a low-cost camp. So if you can't afford it, either we'll cover the cost, we'll drop you a bat and a glove, and you can come out here, a pair of cleats, you can come out here and you can do your thing and like be around baseball. It gives you opportunity to be in baseball. But like, let's say at the end of that camp, you pick five, six kids, maybe 10, however many, you know what I'm saying, you want to do. And maybe those are your like most outstanding players in like an age group or your five most outstanding players in that camp. Cool. In that camp, those five players, for you guys being the best here in this camp, we're going to bring you to Kansas City. This is just, this, I'm just saying Kansas City. We'll bring you to Kansas City for a weekend, right? Or we'll let you come hang out with us for a weekend. So let's say we play Detroit in Kansas City Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you and your family got tickets to the game. Before the game, we'll let you out there on the field. You can watch them take BP. You get to talk to Salvador Perez and with Merrifield and Solaire and, and Nick Heath. One day. And <laughs> stuff like that. And then you get black kids and they're like, oh, snap, man. If I work hard playing baseball, I can go out there and do something like that again. Or... You open something up where you get to pick two or three kids and they get to go see what Dayton Moore does on a Friday before a game. You go down there, you meet the players in the locker room maybe, or, you know, they get you seats next to the dugout. So when players come in, you get to see them come in, high five, you all that nonsense. I mean, that, that's the type of stuff that kids like, right? You can tell me as a kid, you could have told me I could do anything, but if I couldn't physically do it right then and there, or I couldn't, it wasn't feasible, then I was like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? And also, like, there's so many baseball games. You got 81 <laughs> home games, man. Like you got how many home stands? Like we're not asking you to do this every game. If you do this four times a year with a group of 50 kids, exactly. that's would make a huge difference. And that's right. I, 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 I love that idea. And of course there's logistics going to any of this, but again, like it's, it's not that complicated and it's, these are the kind of ideas that are not expensive either. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I want to no, talk like a little bit lot. about the clubhouse dynamic. Because, you know, the sense I get from you is any clubhouse you walk into, you're going to immediately like strike up a conversation with 
any black player you see. Uh, well, immediately, yeah, right? Any player, period. But definitely. Well, yeah, I know you, you would talk to a wall, Nick. I, <laughs> I know that about you. But <laughs> I didn't I'm, look crazy yet. <laughs> I, I'm saying like from a comfort level perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're going to seek that. Are you going to seek that person out? Yeah. The, oh, the first thing I'm going to do is find the players that look like me. But it's just easier to do, man, because first of all, I don't see us very often. So like you see, if you go on Twitter right now and you see the people that I interact with, it's mostly black players. But it's it's easy for me to interact with them because we're going through the same thing. Like we wake up day in and day out and we the same. We both African-American. We both playing ball. So automatically we got two things that relate us more than anything else. And then eventually you start to build the relationship around those two things. We got two commonalities, but oh snap, maybe we like the same football team. Or we like the, you know what I'm saying? We like the same, you know, places to eat, this, that, and the other. And next thing you know, like Sterling Sharp, one of my best friends now. Like I played against him twice, two or three times. And then after that, I didn't get to see him because, you know, obviously our team took us different spots. But even then, when the season was over with, it was so easy to have conversation with him and talk to him about the same things because we kind of got like the same beliefs in trying to get black kids to play baseball. So it's easy for me to sit down and have a conversation with a black guy about trying to get black kids playing baseball. Then no offense, it would be for if I were to walk into a, a dugout or a locker room and see you guys sitting there, I'd be like, can I talk to him about this type of stuff? You know what I mean? But now that I know you guys, I can do that. But previously, if it was y'all two sitting down and him sitting down, maybe not intentionally, but kind of just mean, from my you own. Don't have to, you don't have to apologize for the, to no, us for yeah, that. You I kidding me? For my own, <laughs> but for my own, not even safety, not even safety, but for my own like comfort, that's the first person I'm going to seek out because he looks like me and it's not a lot of us. Yeah. And of course, like you said, like that commonality already makes it such a close bond oh, right exactly. like it's just so, so that there's just only so many people that you can literally talk to about and relate to those experiences mm -hmm. um how do you how do yeah. you interact with someone in the clubhouse who is calling the protests riots yeah right or won't say black lives matter yeah right someone who's maybe not respecting you as a black person respecting your life and your ability to live a safe day mm -hmm. how do you handle that interaction Man, I got super thick skin. So like somebody, somebody like giving me hatred isn't going to get much of a reaction out of me because my parents were telling me growing up, like, look, you a black boy. So you got to be twice as good. You have the recognition. Like that's, that's the first thing that goes to my head. So when I'm, when I encounter people like that, I think the thing for me is, man, I, I got to show them my heart. You know what I mean? Like put that on me, let that on me. It's all good. I'm not going to say nothing. I might talk some shit about you when I leave. I might call my boys and be like, yo, if it went for baseball, I'm going to whoop his ass one day. Like, if, right. you know what I mean? Like, if that could be something. But I think the biggest thing for me is you got to show people who don't like you because you're black that <clears throat> whatever perception they have of African-Americans isn't accurate. You know what I mean? You probably come up to me and you like, I bet I could piss them off. Black dudes always get mad. Black dudes are always angry, always aggressive, violent, stuff like that. And when you see that, I'm not that type of person. You're going to be like, hey, why I ain't get a reaction out of me? And I feel like sometimes people kind of mess with me. I'll be honest. I feel like sometimes people mess with me to see if they'll get a reaction out of me. And then when they realize they don't or they realize they can't, that some guys just stop talking to me, period. And like, if that's, if that's how you are, if that's how you feel, then so be it. Like, I'm, I'm living my life. I'm doing the best I can to be a good teammate, to come in here and like share a smile with somebody, crack a joke, this. This, that and the other, but 
man, everybody isn't, everybody ain't built the same and everybody isn't, you know what I mean? Like everybody isn't rooting for the guy next to them. Sometimes you kind of just got to accept that. Like you got to go out there and you got to root for them just like you would want them to root for you. But so like a, there is at least an idea, right? That the baseball clubhouse creates a, in, in theory, like a more tight knit workplace than you might find at, you know, a store or an investment firm or wherever, right? Where those relationships, like you're spending such an insane amount of time with those people, right? Yeah, Do but you I, was, s- I think it's bullshit. You think that's bullshit? So that yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. I I think it's bullshit, man. You, <clears throat> what people think is like winning teams. Winning teams are different. Winning teams understand they got a common goal and they're gonna fight for that. And no matter what their separate views or opinions or you know thoughts are. They got one common goal and they're going to reach that common goal together. You know what I'm saying? But like, but, is that the right goal? Like, should it like in sports in sports, in sports. Yes. in sports? Yes, because I'm not getting paid. I'm not, I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting anything to go out there and just be cool. You know what I'm saying? With the guy in there with, I'm not, I'm not getting paid to go in there and share the same thought process. They are. I'm getting paid for my ability on the field and what I can do for the team and help the team with. So when you get a bunch of guys who buy into that, that's when you get championship teams. But in real life, in a baseball locker room, when you walk in, I'm willing to bet you you're going to see the black dudes on one side, some of the white dudes on another side, another group of white dudes over here, and some Latin players over here. You're not going to see everybody sitting around together having one big kumbaya. Like, no, that's not not it. And, like, even when we travel and we take two buses – Usually you see the black players and the Latin players on one bus because we like to play our music, be kind of loud, you know what I'm saying, talk a little shit. Like, we like to have fun. But, like, sometimes on other bus rides, like, you'll see, you know what I mean, like, on the other bus, you'll see the white players. And sometimes, you know, they play card games, they listen to music, they listen to the music low because it's 3 a.m. and we're going from Arkansas to Midland. Like, now I can tell you so many instances of times where I was like, damn, our team is really a little more, like, we're further apart than I thought we were. There's a lot of reasons this is true, and I'm sure this is true at the major league level too, but especially in the minors, right? You talk about building a championship culture where Mm -hmm. if you're all at the top and you're all trying to win a World Series, that is very much a common goal you can get behind. In the minors, yeah, they're your teammates. They're also the people you're competing with. And so like, yeah, you have to get along with them, but it's like the common goal is competing with each other instead of trying to win the World Series together. Do you think that that also affects how much people are kind of sticking to themselves and sticking to how comfortable they are um, as part of it? I think, I think, yeah. You know, like when you get in there and you see a bunch of guys who are trying to reach the same thing, like it's easy to, it's easy to fight next to that guy. But like maybe away from the field, y'all don't talk or y'all don't hang out or nothing like that. So it's easy for us. If, if all three of us right here want one thing, even though, like, let's say we didn't get along. Let's say we didn't like each other at all. But if we all want the same thing and we care enough about it, we're going to put all that nonsense to the side and we're going to go out and get it. But away from getting that, we're not going to be speaking. We're not going to be best friends. And I think sometimes you develop relationships with guys through that process. Like, there are teammates that I thought I could never be cool with. I, not that, not off of appearance, not off anything like that, but like sometimes I hear them talk and I'm like, I would never want to be around you away from baseball. Like I would never want to be around you. But then throughout the course of the season, I kind of like get a different perspective of who they are when they're going through adversity, when they're struggling, you know what I mean? Like 
when you when your batting average is 180 and you expected your batting average to be 290, you know what I mean? So I'm you see a, a bunch of different things out of guys when they're kind of under pressure, when they're kind of facing adversity and away from their families, and you're like, okay, I can kind of see why you act the way you act. And then it makes it a little bit easier for me to like sympathize with you. You know what I mean? I, I watched you in the Dominican have this conversation with a teammate of yours. I'm not going to name names, but I remember there was a night where we had this conversation, right? And and it was you accepting that, basically like trying to push that person's viewpoint a little bit, right? And you did have a little bit of help that there was another black teammate who was there with you, right? But, you know, that is, and I, I remember seeing how almost exhausting that responsibility can be at times. I mean, it is, man, because... And not only am I out here fighting for myself, I'm fighting for the black players that are going to come after me and the ones that are out there now. You know what I mean? So I got to I gotta throw all that nonsense out because one of these days, that dude I was talking to, I know who you're talking about. The kid I was talking to, one of these days, he going to come across another black dude that's his teammate. And maybe he ain't going to be so welcoming. You know what I mean? And maybe he won't be so open to have that discussion with him. So I got to put him in a position to understand that, like, man, just because you feel a certain way, doesn't mean we all gonna accept the way that you feel. Y'all know me. I'm a real, I like real, real laid back. I'm cool. I like, I talk a lot, but I don't say too much on like certain issues. I just kind of shut up and listen. But everybody ain't like that. So you can't go out here and put your views and your opinions and your thoughts out there thinking that you're just gonna be able to slide on it and somebody won't check you. Right. Like, fuck that dude's comfort. That's what I'm saying. I ain't gonna say the F word because I know somebody's gonna hear this. That's fine. (laughs) But like, I don't care about your comfort, man. Your comfort means nothing to me. Your comfort means absolutely nothing to me. Because I got to walk out of my house some days and I'm like, do I really want to risk going to the grocery store today? And people will look at me and like, y'all, there's no way in hell y'all living like this. Boy, you'd be surprised. Boy, you'd be surprised. And sometimes, and I was on Twitter the other day and I was going through some conversation that two guys were having. One dude was black and another guy was white. And... The white guy was saying that like professional athletes, celebrities, yada, 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 they don't have to deal with this type of stuff. Well, before you know that I'm an athlete or before you know that somebody out there is a celebrity, the first thing you see is a black dude. You're not going to go, oh, snap, that's Nikki. Nah, you're not going to say that or, oh, he probably played baseball. You ain't going to do that. You're going to that's a black dude. <laughs> that's a black dude. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter who you are, where you are in life, what you got, none of that. They're going to label you they're going to label you as soon as they see you. And I, I can't lie and say that I haven't been that person. Because I got some country teammates. I got some teammates who are walking in with some cowboy boots on and a camo hat. And I'm like, boy, I'd say if he had his chance, boy, he off me right now. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh And that's God. wrong of me. That's really, really wrong of me. Because there are friends I have like that that will go to bat for me 30 times out of 10. But there are also guys like that that I've previously experienced that I'm like, okay. Man, everybody who looked like this is probably the same. You know what I mean? And that's and that's wrong on my end. And I think the older I've gotten and the more that I've been in a situation where I'm realizing you can't judge a book by its cover, it's easy for me to it's easy for me to put the preconceived notion I have about somebody, it's easy for me to just like drop that off and be like, you know what, I'm gonna accept you for who you are and the conversation you have with me. That's how I get to know who you are and your, where your heart is. So spinning this forward now, you know, you were added to the 40 man this this past offseason congratulations um, you're gonna be in the big leagues hopefully sooner rather than later 
And now, you know, this conversation that we've all been having and, and starting to have baseball players being more outspoken than ever, not just here on podcasts, on, tw- on their own Twitter feeds. Do you think this is actually a moment where we can now be having these conversations out in the open? Um, what well, is it going to take? In the clubhouse, take, right? In the clubhouse. Like, is this, do you have faith for like your, our generation, whatever, the next generation of young black players, of young white players that are maybe going to be more used to having these conversations? Is this like an opportunity for change or, you know, is there still some cynicism, understandably? I think this is a huge opportunity for change, but forgive me for saying I don't believe shit that's going on right now. Forgive me for saying that. I don't, I don't care what people posting. I don't care what people saying. At some point, sometimes I don't even care what people are doing, man. Like, you got to show me unconditionally and without me having to press you on the fact that you're going to go out there and support me and you're not going to go out there and be okay. Because when I'm not in the room, you might just sit down and let somebody, you might sit down and let that shit slide. But when I'm there, you're like, y'all can't do that. That's fake. I don't need that. I need you to act the same way when I'm gone towards racism and any type and anything like that. I need you to act the same way when I'm gone as when I'm sitting next to you. So don't sit here and lick people in the face and say, what you're doing is wrong. That's not okay. Da, 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 this, that, and the other. When I'm there and when I'm gone, you just quiet, like chuckling about it because your friends think it's cool and, they, and they're comfortable with it. I'm going to check somebody on that. Personally, I will. And to the best of my ability, I try not to get angry. Man, stuff like this doesn't make me mad. But like to the best of my ability, I try not to get angry because I think that's what people want. They want to see a black dude get mad about something like this. Instead of seeing me just be like, okay, you know what? That's how you feel. Let's talk to it. We'll understand each other. And I don't think a lot of people grasp the concept that if you just put what's on your heart out there, it's going to hit somebody. You know what I mean? Somebody's going to feel what you have to say. So forgive me for saying that I think what's going on now is good, but it's going to repeat itself. And that's my opinion on it until I see otherwise. Because we, I mean, we've been through this. You know what I mean? We've been through this over and over and over again. And Colin Kaepernick tried to protest with that knee. He did it peacefully. Somebody in the Green Beret told him, instead of sitting for the national anthem, why don't you take a knee? He went out there and did it as peacefully as he could and put his intentions out there in the clear in the public for everybody. And they still blackballed him. So why am I supposed to think that doing something peacefully or speaking my mind is gonna is gonna re- you know what I'm saying like it's gonna it's gonna give change the opportunity to happen. I don't I don't believe that. I, y'all gotta show me y- y'all gotta show me that this is gonna be different. Because if you don't show me it's gonna be different, I'm gonna keep forcing the issue until y'all like all right, dog. I'm tired of hearing him talk about it. So we gotta do something about it. But at the same time, y'all tired of hearing us talk about it. We tired of going through it. I'm tired of leaving my house and I got five sisters. I'm tired of leaving my house wondering if my sister could be, you know what I mean, somebody who's going to be brutalized by a police officer. I don't want to, I don't want to leave my house knowing, y'all know Rudy and DJ and Khalil and all. I I don't want to leave my house knowing or thinking that those guys could be in a position to be hurt because I love them to death. You know what I mean? And I know I've only known him for a couple of years, but like we all we fighting the same battles. And I, I wake up, DJ's been my roommate a few times, Rudy's been my roommate a few times, but I wake up and I see they're going through the same thing I'm going through. So I know they're feeling the same thing I'm feeling. It would kill me if something happened to one of them. So I forgive me for forgive me for that. 
don't, don't ask for forgiveness. From us. Shit people say on the subject. You got to show me that you as a person won't allow this to happen when me when I'm not around. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it's like what Jake's It's been like, saying. you know, check your racist white uncle. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that, right? At the Thanksgiving table. Yeah. And like I'm I'm guilty of this too. Like in there are times and every single white person has done this where there's we have the privilege to opt out of that at any time. If I don't want to have that conversation, I can just go like this, right? Exactly. Because it makes us uncomfortable. But that discomfort is 0.0001% of the discomfort you feel when you're driving and you see blue lights flashing behind you. Exactly. Exactly. I call, Every time I get pulled over, man, I shoot my mom a quick text. Always shoot my mom a quick text. Hey, getting pulled over. I love you. I'll call you when I'll, I'll call you later. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll call you when I get back on the road. I shouldn't have to send that text to my mom. I should be like, I should call my mom and get chewed out for getting a ticket. You know what I mean? I should be like, damn, I just got a ticket. And I can hear her on the phone. You know what I mean? Like, I can, that should be the conversation I have. I shouldn't have to, like, as soon as I see them lights, I'm like, shit, driver's license, driver's license, it's on the, it's on the, it's on the dash. And my registration, it's on the dash. I don't keep my registration in my glove box. I keep it in my center console. So when I'm getting pulled over, I can just whip it out, put it on the dash right there. I don't got to mess with it. Can't say I'm reaching for nothing. That didn't give them the opportunity to be like, oh, he was moving too fast. He leaned. I couldn't see him. Boy, it's right there. And I ask questions when I did. Can I reach for it? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do this? Always got a hand on the steering wheel so you can't like, I feel like y'all wouldn't have to do the same thing. Never. never I mean? I've, I've never, ever had to even think about that. That's it's so unnerving. It is so 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 unnerving to know that like at that point my life, the stuff that like I care about, my family, my friends, it's so unnerving knowing that like oh shit, I'm about to get pulled over. This could be like the last text I send to my mom. You know what I mean? Cuz just as much as it just as much as it was George Floyd or just as much as it was Alton Sterling and so many other people man, it could have been me. And then what? You know what I mean? Like, at what point? At what point do people like have to understand that if you have African American friends, or you care about African American people, just as much as it's some random dude that you never heard his name on the news, it could have been one of them. And then, and then, is it gonna hit home for you? Like, and then are you gonna understand that like this is way this could be this is a lot closer to home than you think it is just because you're not dealing with it doesn't mean somebody you know or love or care about isn't about to deal with the same thing. Yeah. And it shouldn't take hearing it from you or hearing from CC Sabathia or hearing it from That's what I'm saying. Know, shouldn't That's take what, that. I don't think in my opinion, I don't think people resonate with what you tell them until they experience it themselves. I'm at fault for doing that sometimes. Like Sometimes people tell me how they feel about things and I'm just like, damn, dog, t- can't relate. But at the same time, like, I have those conversations and it doesn't even have to be about race. Somebody's like, oh, man, I'm not feeling myself. I had a teammate call me one night and he was like, man, I feel like I can talk to you about anything. And I'm like, yeah, for sure, lay it on me. And he's telling me that he thinks, you know, like, sometimes he thinks he might battle depression. Sometimes he might battle anxiety. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, dog, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on that you feel like this. Because y'all know me, I'm usually a pretty upbeat person. But I sat there on the phone and I was like, okay, so why do you why do you feel like you're going through this? Why do you feel like this is it? And he'll tell me stuff and I'm on the computer at the same time, like, what are signs of this, that, and the other, trying to learn about it, trying to figure out, like, if I see something like that going on in his life, 
or if I see him like having mood swings out of the blue that he normally wouldn't have mood swings, I'd be like, hey, dog, you want to go get dinner later? Like, just just be cool for a little bit, but like, let's go get dinner later or come by the crib later and just like chop it up, play the game for a little bit or something like that. But like, I think you got to try to understand where people are coming from. And a lot of people don't try to understand it because they don't think they're going to have to deal with it at some point. Well, that's the baseline responsibility. We can't be the ones to sit here and say this needs to happen because it ain't, it ain't nobody. They ain't going to listen to us. It's got to be the people. It's got to be the people who got a spot at the table that are going to be the ones that are like, look, this is this is some bullshit. Because if you let me come in and you let me talk to a bit, if you let me come in and talk to a group of 100 white people and I'm out here pouring my heart out. Maybe I maybe I hit like five or six. Maybe I hit ten at the most. But the rest of them gonna be like, I ain't dealing with it. You know what I mean? Like, or they're gonna find some negative, you know what I mean, connotation to be like, okay, man, I, I stopped listening after the ten minute mark, or I stopped listening when it stopped relating to me. But if one of those ten people that I reached out, like, if one of those ten people steps up there and they go to bat for me, or ten of those ten people step up and go to bat for me and say, what y'all out here doing is wrong. Like, y'all need to listen to this. I need to be aware of this. It might hit a little different. Because they're going to be like, why this white dude sticking up for him? Oh, maybe he's like, maybe he's actually a good dude. Or I'm actually going to listen to what this guy is saying because, you know what I mean? It's easier for me to relate to him than it is for me to relate to him. So it's got to people. It's got to be the people with a spot at the table that are going out there to, like, make the change. Because I can say it all I want to, but you're not going to hear me if you're not trying to hear me but you're gonna hear the white guy next to you if y'all are friends or if he looks like you sounds like you can write relate a lot more things to him nick a million thank yous to you for coming on uh, and talking and being being up front i appreciate you man i love y'all i really really do and i'm so glad we fostered that relationship when you guys were coming down to the dr man that was so dope and i to be honest with you sometimes like when i meet new people i don't really know what to expect but i can say that from the moment I met y'all, from the moment like our friendship started, y'all have been accepting, y'all been open, y'all been y'all talk to me, you ask questions. That's cool, that's dope, because a lot of people don't do that. So like when I see that, when I see that from people and when I see that from guys, like it it hit, it hits home for me. Cause I know at the end of the day that y'all not only like want to take care of yourselves, but you kind of like having my best interest in mind when we have conversations. Listen, all I'll say is if you listen to Nick Heath for more than 30 seconds and you're not a fan. I don't, I don't, like <laughs> you. I, I don't understand you as a person. So I, 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 I appreciate the kind words, Nick, but seriously, you're not, it's, it's not difficult. Yeah, <laughs> really. So I, I hope that uh, everyone appreciates hearing from you. And uh, I, I can't, I can't recommend just being a Nick Heath fan enough because it's, it's a good time. Can't wait to watch you make your major league debut in front of zero people. here on baseball barbecue Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman major league baseball Jordan is the is the tip of the iceberg it's what we see mostly um it's what demands most of the public attention and understandably they're the best at the baseball um but what happens beneath the tip of the iceberg a lot of times informs uh the culture and shapes the culture of what happens at the top so we wanted to have on someone who uh let's just say maybe maybe not going to make the big leagues but uh, a valuable member of the baseball community, nonetheless. Uh, Matt Ritchie, thank you for joining us, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Matt, uh, I guess let's just introduce you to our audience here. Uh, you're a current active college baseball player. Tell us about uh, your background in baseball. 
Uh, yeah. So currently I'm at uh, Johns Hopkins University um, on their baseball team, third base infield. Been there since now my senior year now, where we're getting to. Uh, been playing baseball since I was four. You know, the whole shebang, little league, travel, high school. And now we're here getting to, I don't want to call it the end of the road, but it's most likely going to be the end of the road. But um, yeah, baseball has been part of my life the whole way through. Especially if the draft is only five bullshit rounds. Yeah, if it's only five rounds. I, I was hoping to sneak in like the seventh, but uh, but if it's five, I'm thinking I'm going to be right outside the cutoff zone for that. So uh, we should give a quick caveat that the D3 baseball world uh, is something Jordan and I are very passionate about, something we think and talk a lot about all the time. And so we want to kind of get a sense from you what your experience as a black man in a even more overwhelmingly white baseball world at the D3 level is like. So I think let's start off talking about locker room clubhouse culture. Most baseball locker rooms avoid any conversation of what is like broadly called politics, but really includes race, gender, sexuality, all of that. Being at a place like Hopkins where those types of conversations are, at least in theory, promoted by the administration, do you guys have those conversations in the locker room or not? It's difficult to have those conversations just because there's so few people in that in that space that are ready to have that conversation. So um, I was the only black player my freshman year or um, person who considered themselves to be like an active black man, active member of the community. And then James showed up, uh, my teammate, James Ingram, he's a year below me now. Uh, and it makes it a little easier when you have somebody else there, but it's still a 40 man locker room. There's still a bunch of guys who maybe aren't ready to have a conversation about politics and who find it uncomfortable to either share their opinions on race or sexuality or just want to avoid it all and just live their life in a different sense. So it gets difficult. Um, but everyone has, I think a lot of black baseball players, they know who their allies are in a locker room. They know which players want to have those conversations on race, which understand, or at least try to understand some of the nuances on race. And so any conversation that gets had in a locker room on any of these topics usually occurs with those players. And it's, it may be the entire locker room, but it's more often than not a small group of guys who are ready to have that conversation in any capacity. And I'm curious, you know, college baseball in general, as Jake mentioned, um, that's another place where we see at the major league level, the number of black players has been dwindling for the last several decades. And at the college level, it's even more extreme. Uh, growing up playing baseball in high school and now at the college level, what? how different does it feel? Like, did, did, when did you notice, like, oh, there's not as many black players playing my sport that I love? Like, at, at what point did that become apparent to you? And why do you think that is? I think I've noticed it my entire life. It's been, my dad has always been like, you're, you're, you're going to be different on the baseball field. It's going to be you, maybe a couple other black kids on the field at a time, and you just have to deal with that and play as if that is the situation. And just throughout high school, I was the only black kid on, the, on my team, probably one of the few black kids in the conference. And it's, it's ever, it's, 
it's consistent throughout all levels, at least in my area. Uh, I grew up in like predominantly white area, and now I go to a predominantly white institution in uh, what's considered to be a high academic um, athletic conference. And so, when you look on the on the college fields now, especially in Division Three, there are very few and far between any black players just anywhere. James and I can count on one hand, maybe two if we're lucky, who any uh, black players in the Centennial Conference alone, which is 10 schools deep. And so baseball has always been a space where you feel isolated or you feel like it's just you and one other kid, maybe. So I'm curious about how you've kind of been taking in the events recently. And you mentioned that the players that maybe you would normally talk to about these sort of things on your team. Has that changed at all over the last two weeks? Have Is this something that you've been talking about more with teammates? I know your season was cut short and you're not actually, you know, making a push for regionals as you normally would be at this time. Um, but is there, are those conversations that you feel like you've been having more lately uh, as this has become such a forefront of our entire country? Um, or is it still something that you're just talking about with those few people? There's definitely there's definitely an increase in conversations, maybe from people who hadn't spoken up in the past or hadn't been as willing. But I I think like a lot of other black people in white spaces, you're getting a lot of messages from your white friends, your white teammates, or white coworkers, um, either with a willingness to understand or a willingness to show support. And so naturally, I've gotten. There, there are, there are, there was an increase of players on the team who were like, you know, I'm here. I'm like, I recognize what you go through, all the whole, the whole shebang, which is obviously appreciated. And so it, the number has increased for sure, just as the current atmosphere promotes it. As the white guilt rises in America, and everyone is making sure that they text their black friends, but yeah. they're. There's, there's obviously, you know, there, like obviously, there, that is encompassing. But there are legitimate, like pushes to be like, hey, like I'm, I'm here for you. I understand. It's appreciated to, to a degree for sure. How do you think this conversation would happen in your locker room if you guys were playing right now? Like, let's say that this national moment happened in April instead of June and there was no coronavirus and you guys were deep in the middle of your conference tournament or something. Oh, it would probably occur with another black athlete and the small group of allies explaining everything that's going on and the nuances of everything that's going on and how someone can support Black Lives Matter, how they can support bail funds, how they can petition, how they can be an actual ally instead of just being a teammate that exists and who I happen to be on the same team. But like you'd have to you'd have to have that conversation immediately in person. Get in, get up in front of the locker room, have it. Yeah. Is that something that you f- feel like your I know you can only obviously speak to the culture on your team. Is right. that something that you feel like you would be comfortable doing right now? Is that something that you felt comfortable do- comfortable doing as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior? Probably not as a freshman, probably not as a sophomore, but right now it's probably most important to just have the ability to express 
these viewpoints and it's just a conversation you have to have if you want to have a team that respects you, your race, respects your standing as a black man, that respects you as a teammate or as a friend. And it's just something that's got to be done. It's great to hear from active big leaguers, former big leaguers, Hall of Famers, all these guys who have lived a big league life and are around the biggest names in the major league level. But as a black major league baseball fan, which is also something that, you know, just this is not as many players. There's also a small percentage of black baseball fans. What does this moment mean to you? And how do you kind of see this situation evolving in in a positive or a negative way? How should baseball be handling this? Well, I'm looking sort of at some of the social media posts that official accounts are having because a lot of the, we're seeing an influx of stories of racist instances happening to major league baseball players like they're rehashing the adam jones instances in boston and san francisco mlb recently posted tory hunter's experiences from boston and a lot of times those stories get pushed under the rug by baseball they're in and out without a by within a week and then it's just like oh baseball is baseball again but i think for black major league baseball players that the constant threat of racism in major league stadiums is constant. And so the fact that they're willing to revisit these instances, bring up conversations, allow black athletes uh, to talk about them. Like I'm reminded of the CC Sabathia podcast they have going on now where they had Chris Young, they had Prince Fielder on there, uh, a couple other major league black athletes. And they, we're just talking about all their experiences. And I think the fact that their voice is getting a little more prominent shows a better trend for open conversations, for an urge for greater equality in the league, an urge for greater Black involvement in the league. I am cautiously optimistic about the trend, and I don't want it to get caught up in the, the trendiness of Black Lives Matter right now, but I'd like it to see a sustained improvement. Right. It, it's more about what happens in four months than right. it is what happens now. For sure. I, I maintain personally just a level of cynicism when you look at what happened a year ago with Tim Anderson. Yeah. Do you think that this moment will change the way major league locker rooms approach this subject? I understand that you've obviously never been am, in a major am, league locker room am, and you I can't talk to that. Far removed from major league locker room. Okay, so then let's sorry, then let's talk about your own locker room. Right? right. You're gonna go you're gonna get back to campus in the fall, hopefully, and you're gonna play a baseball season. Do yeah. you anticipate that you will have more conversations about race, about your status as a black man in America in baseball than you would have otherwise a year ago? You know, I do. Um, do you I do think like that's necessarily a good thing? I think it is. Okay, because a lot of I think a lot of locker rooms are unable to even approach that subject with. I wouldn't even say like nuance, with just any sort of like they like do. Do they want to do it at all? Like, I think I think my teammates are mature enough to be able to have a conversation on this, and I think once we get back, it'll be. We either see a trend or maybe not a trend or a willingness to bring it up or a willingness to listen 
rather than um, avoiding conversations as a whole. Whether that translates to other locker rooms, MLB levels, who's to say? But I think we have an active crop of black MLB athletes who would force the conversations. And the fact that most of them are good at baseball probably helps because teammates will teammates and the league will be more likely to amplify their voices at that point as well. That's just people want to listen to people who are good. Good at <laughs> good at hitting a ball, which is goofy when you really think it, about it's it. It's goofy, but, but you know. So you you mentioned this before we're talking about James Ingram coming in after you had already been there. How important do you think it is to have black veterans in the locker room? To have someone there when you get when you're when you arrive? Uh, ridiculously important. Because when you're a freshman and you get onto a team, you that's your first taste of the culture of a team. And so you're learning everything. I didn't have a black, like a, like a forward, forward black player who was well-versed in the culture of the team to lead me through how to be a black person on a white baseball team in college, which, which is a lot different than being a black kid in high school, but like a college locker room is a lot different. And so it's painfully important to have another black player who's been through the process of being on a baseball team, understand the, what you have to do, how you have to react to things, how you have to speak to people, how you have to present yourself. Um, it's ridiculously important to have someone there. What does Major League Baseball need to do to prove to you that it actually gives a shit about this? There are a couple of things I'm thinking of. A zero tolerance policy on racism is probably the first thing that has to go. I see what they're doing with the fans. Fans get banned for life. Fans, have, fans don't have tickets, whatever. But that also needs to occur with players. There needs, you know, there needs to be a line that says racist instances, they're just not going to be tolerated. And then we can talk about involvement in youth organizations, predominantly black areas, funding for baseball, promoting, promoting youth organizations uh, or youth black travel teams. We can talk about a whole bunch of things in that area. Do I think MLB has the nerve to do it? Probably not. But do they need to make better movements towards equality for black baseball players, for sure? You said it. And as you said, it's a, it's a longer list than that, as we, yeah. as we can certainly acknowledge. But I think those are, are definitely some important steps. Um, Matt, I guess I just want to give you the floor. If there's anything else, any other thoughts you want to kind of get off your chest about this topic, um, what you're thinking about, how you're taking this beyond your baseball career. Uh, Listen, you're giving, you're giving me full reign. I might just go down my Twitter timeline and just, just <laughs> read, off, read off the best tweets that I've read and be like, yeah. defund police. And when I mean defund, I don't mean reform. I mean strip. Um uh, I don't, I don't think anyone needs to be on the other side of police brutality. I don't understand why it's an argument or a debate. I don't understand why, I don't understand why Black Lives Matter is a discussion point. Um, I could say a whole lot of things, but, uh, you know, just respect Black people, 
in general remember that black people are people like that's not that's not a request it's more of a demand at this point i don't know and it's disgusting that it even has to be a demand but it's 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 <sighs> that, I, I, I mean, that's that's size says it all folks that's it man like that's side where it's again you know you have millions and millions and millions of things and legitimate gripes and experiences that i'm sure we could have this conversation for two and a half more hours right and that's part of the problem yeah uh i guess i'll, I'll unless you have anything else you want to mention like how how long are we gonna have to wait for the orioles to be good again do you think i say we need to lose for four more years wow we need we need to lose enough to where we have four top three draft picks oh I love like this. the Nats, like the Nats, yeah, basically, like the Nats. Like I want, I want Kumar Rocker next year. Oh that's my how, god! Yeah, and then Fubar for Kumar. That, that's the line. <laughs> we lose as much as possible. Yes. Ride yeah. the Hanser Alberto train for another three years. Yes, because he's the best hitter in baseball, and I would yes. hear no arguments about wow. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hanser Alberto is the best hitter in baseball, and I, hands down. Damn. Lock it All in. Right. <laughs> Some spice from Matt Ritchie. Uh, Bad Matt, 350 next year. Matt, I love it. I love Matt, it. Matt, as you mentioned, um, there is so much more we could talk to you about. And as you also mentioned, uh, your Twitter timeline is full of some more oh, yeah. Do you have hot fires that everybody should be following. And so just let us let everybody know where they can follow you and anything else you wanna you wanna plug. Uh yes. Um if you want more information on donations to bail funds in protest hotspots, petitions for actions against police brutality for a number of black victims. You can follow me at, at MKRWRT, which is just a random conglomeration of letters. Uh, means absolutely nothing. Uh, but you can follow me there for just more information on how to support Black Lives Matter as a whole. Love it. Looking forward to your senior season. Uh, Matt Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks again uh, to Nick Heath and Matt Ritchie uh, for joining us on this episode of Baseball Barbecue. Looking forward to continuing to have conversations with them uh, and on future episodes uh, about all these issues because it's really important. And I feel like I learned a ton. A hundred, hundred percent. And, you know, discourse is important. Conversations are important. But uh, action and, you know, steps moving forward are even more important. Uh, we're going to be matching donations to Black Lives Matter New York uh, up to 2000 bucks. So if if you donate, send us a screenshot, tweet it at us, uh, and, and I'll keep track and we'll match what what we as a you know podcast community can raise. Um, we'll have that link in the in the description. Uh, thank everybody for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with uh, more of these conversations. Yeah.